Good morning. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be with Calvary Chapel Bangor uh, the past week and help them with uh, their daily broadcasts at 6 p.m. for an evening Bible study, and they've been gracious enough to allow us to use their facility, personnel, equipment uh, to have this service this morning. So uh, we're going to take a look at our normal uh, study uh, where we left off last. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18 is where we'll be. Um, there are obviously uh, very severe things going on in the world all around us. Uh, I believe uh, some of what's covered in Leviticus is pertinent to uh, those subjects. So why don't we pray and then we'll take a look at the Word together. Father, I thank you that we have uh, this opportunity. We have uh, these uh, facilities and uh, this equipment and uh, the help of Mike Archer and others to accomplish this work. I pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, our being able to gather this way and study your word, that it would minister to us and build us up towards love and good deeds, as your scripture says. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we'll have uh, more news uh, regarding uh, the possibilities of having smaller studies at our own church in the days uh, to come. But for now, uh, this morning, this is the method that we have uh, to be in the Word. In Leviticus chapter 18, uh, the Lord is addressing the laws of sexual morality for the nation of Israel. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwell, you shall not do, according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So a few things that the Lord is saying uh, through Moses uh, to the nation of Israel and even to us uh, here this morning as we look at this together. Uh, the first thing is, He's freed them out of the bondage of Egypt and uh, told them that they're not going to live as the Egyptians uh, did. He makes this statement, I am the Lord your God. You know, I am the Lord your God. And then, you know, closes in verse five by saying, I am the Lord. The idea is that he has made them his nation. He has made them his children and they should reflect the character of their father. So God would not behave in this way. Therefore, those that are his children should not behave this way. Uh, he makes that specific statement about you know the doings of the land of Egypt, where they came out of. So if we put a spiritual application uh, to that for ourselves... You know, there was a way that we lived in our sinfulness before surrendering our lives to the Lord that we should not go back to. Uh, the Lord delivered us from that bondage of sin and death, as Paul tells us in Romans, and we should not live anymore in it. We shouldn't go back to it and revert to it. And he also makes these statements about Canaan, the land they're going into, and the fact that they should not walk in their ordinances. You can see that at the end of verse 3. This is something that I've run into a number of times recently as a pastor in that Christians have a mindset like this is the behavior of our culture. This is something that is accepted normally all around us. Why should I be any different? And the point is, that we are a nation of people, we are children of God, we belong to a different family, so our behavior should automatically be different than those of the world. <clears throat> In this passage, the Lord doesn't give us any statement about the conduct 
of the world and what they're doing in regard to us being judgmental of them, or here, the nation of Israel being judgmental of them. Uh, Certainly the Lord has things to say about that, but as far as what he's saying to the nation of Israel, he's saying regardless of what the world is doing, uh, your behavior should be very different. So in verse 6, it continues by saying, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. And you'll see that once again, the Lord is repeatedly putting in place that statement, I am the Lord. I'm your God. Uh, I'm your Father. Uh, You are my children is the implication. You should be following and living after me and, and doing the things that I'm asking you to do. Specifically now, he's telling us uh, that this is in regard to sexual sin. Uh, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. He's going to use that phrase uh, several times, but he even gets more specific in uh, describing how this is in regard to human sexuality. The nakedness in verse 7 of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. So uh, that which is your mother, and then he also gives that statement of your father's wife. So even if the woman were not to be the one who had given birth to the individual, if it's a woman that uh, the father had then uh, married after the individual was given birth to, not to have any sexual relations with her either. The nakedness of your sister, it says in verse 9, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. Little wordy uh, coming from the King James uh, language into you know a modern vernacular, uh, the idea is, you know, we might say stepsister. So one that was born in the home or one that your father has married another woman and had children with her, still the child of your you know, mother or father in this case, not to have sexual relations uh, with her. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter neither nakedness you shall uh, excuse me their nakedness you shall not uncover for is your own nakedness your offspring your children your grandchildren uh, shouldn't have any relations with them the nakedness of your father's wife daughter begotten by your father she is your sister you shall not uncover her nakedness You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. All of these uh, cases that are described uh, could be put under the category of family uh, and that none of these relationships uh, are allowed by the Lord. Now, certainly uh, the scripture records for us occasions where uh, people did participate in various kinds of sexual sin uh, that was just described. Uh, There are critics of the Scripture 
that point at the Bible and imply or even say directly that somehow that that is God's endorsement of that, that in this case he's condemning it, but then in other cases where people participate in it, you know, those that are of the nation of Israel and otherwise, that somehow that's a contradiction on God's part. Uh, quite the contrary. Uh, God is uh, condemning it and saying that his people shouldn't have anything to do with this behavior. And the fact that he tells us that there are individuals who have done it in the scripture is a confirmation of the truth and the accuracy of God's word, because he tells us about the failures of these individuals unflinchingly. He doesn't hold back and describing when people have violated the very things that he said in his word. So we should be able uh, to look at the scripture and learn from it what it is that the Lord is calling us to and telling us to not participate in. Now, in verse 19, it says, Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity there it's describing her menstrual cycle and the lord is giving the nation of israel this sanitary condition to their sexual behavior in order to promote health and otherwise moreover you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her so the lord speaks a lot through the whole of the scripture old testament New Testament about keeping ourselves from sexual sin, lusting after other uh, people other than our spouses, and participating in things that would be destructive, particularly to the family. And uh, we need to allow the Lord to have His uh, truth and uh, law regarding that in order to protect and preserve us. We'll talk a little about about that in just a moment. Moreover. You shall not lie carnally, as we said, with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. You might want to underline that if you're studying at home. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And there he says it again. You're my people. You're my nation. You're my children. Uh, so these behaviors should not belong to you. The fire of Molech. So there's quite a bit to discuss uh, there if you consider uh, what's being said. The Lord has a lot to say about uh, those that participate, obviously, in sexual sin. And uh, when we consider uh, you know, our modern culture and, and what it is that uh, people you know, think about, um, you know, sexual uh, behavior, you know, very often uh, they don't consider uh, the Bible as an authority. They don't consider uh, the Bible as something that oh, we should listen to uh, for guidance. Uh, the world wants to make up its own mind. We, you know, hear this big debate uh, now about abortions and uh, whether you know a woman's right to choose is as important as a child's right to life. So, you know, the. the um, argument really comes down to exactly what was described in the beginning of this chapter. Uh, the Lord is saying that you're not going to conduct yourself according to the ordinances of the people of Canaan. Uh, when you come into the land, you're going to function according to my mandates, not uh, what they think. If you're a person who uh, likes to look at numbers, likes to look at statistics. Uh, there is a website I would encourage you uh, to take a look at called numberofabortions.com. Uh, some things on this uh, website that are uh, really interesting. They run the website like a clock, literally. Um, uh, right now, uh, in the United States today, uh, there have been, so since midnight until now, uh, this uh, Sunday, uh, you know, uh, March 22nd, uh, 2020, there have been 1,009.2 abortions today, 0.3 abortions 
today. Point four, abortions today. Uh, The United States uh, this year, there have been 194,358 abortions, uh, you know, continuing uh, the count uh, as things uh, developed. Uh, In the world since 1980, 1,569,015,611 abortions, 618 abortions, 620 abortions. Uh, The world is using abortion as a form of birth control. You know, for everybody that wants uh, to point at, you know, the uh, very extreme cases of rape or incest and say that, you know, women have to have uh, the right to uh, abortions. Uh, Again, I'm just putting these out here for consideration. We could have whatever discussion people wanted to along uh, the way. Uh, The uh, rape and incest abortions this year total 1,885. That's how many have uh, been viewed as necessary in the eyes of the world. Uh, you know, it's a remarkable thing to compare a number such as that against, you know, 1,569,015,700 uh, that have occurred since 1980. Uh, the fires of Molech that are being described in uh, Leviticus chapter 18 was essentially an ancient form of abortion. Molech was a god that was worshipped through uh, sexual um, experiences. Uh, They had uh, large gatherings of uh, sexual intercourse amongst many people, and uh, unwanted pregnancies were the obvious result of that. And uh, they didn't have any problem with that because... An additional part of the worship of Molech, if a woman was to get pregnant uh, during this process, was to birth the child and then immediately, as soon as it was born, burn it in a fire to uh, honor Molech, the god of sensuality, this god of sexual pleasure. So for the nation of Israel, for believers... The Lord is saying that you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. You know, the idea that the things we deal with in this modern world, uh, you know, this ancient book somehow doesn't uh, deal with them is completely false. Uh, anywhere that you look, whatever subject you might need to tackle, the Word of God and not only has something to say about it, it has uh, usually some of the most detailed uh, explanations and guidance on that subject. So for the nation of Israel, the Lord is saying that you shall not profane the name of your God in uh, doing this. Many of us uh, have participated in this sin. So I'm not putting it out there uh, to point the finger at individuals that may have participated in this as though they somehow are more sinful uh, than others. I mean, the Scripture uh, lists gossip uh, as being equal to murder. So, you know, we need to be people that are submitted uh, to the Lord and find His gracious forgiveness no matter what our past behavior has been. The Lord can free us from that behavior so it's not part of our current behavior and we can find the grace and the forgiveness of God uh, for anything that we may have participated in the past. As believers, uh, this needs to not be part. The sexual sin uh, and the ridding ourselves of unwanted pregnancies uh, through some act of violence, uh, needs to not be part of our behavior as believers. The Lord can deliver us from those things. 18, verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, we're going to talk about some New Testament 
sense of things um, here in just a moment, but uh, very clearly the Scripture condemns homosexuality. Now, the Scripture doesn't, again, condemn homosexuality as being more sinful uh, than other sexual sin. Certainly there's a very militant uh, attitude in our culture that's trying uh, to push uh, the homosexual agenda on every facet of our people, uh, trying to convert our society over uh, to this mind frame. Uh, many people in uh, looking at the Scripture about this subject, uh, want to insist that the Scripture uh, doesn't say these things, that it's just something that the modern uh, form of Christianity has sort of pushed upon those that wish to be, be believers, and it's not something that the Scripture uh, actually condemns. And it absolutely does. This is one of those occasions where the Scripture tells us it's an abomination. Now, that isn't the idea of an abomination, as I said, as being more sinful than any other sin. Uh, you know, the Lord has as much to say about adultery as He does about uh, homosexuality. Uh, the issue is, as far as it being an abomination, that God, the designer of sex for procreation and the designer of sex for pleasure, uh, knows that the ultimate fulfillment for individuals is the sexual relation between one man and one woman uh, for the remainder of their lives with the added benefit of procreation, children being born as a result of that. Uh, when a culture moves to the point where it participates in homosexuality, it's the demise of the culture because uh, the procreation is how that culture continues. Everything, every single society that wants to just stay at a status quo needs to have a birth rate of 2.1 in order to accommodate uh, the death rate that will be within that culture simultaneously. So you have to have slightly more than two children born to every two people within the culture. Every time uh, the population moves lower than that, then you start to have the death of that entire race of people. God gave procreation, uh, human sexuality, to the human race in order to you know, promote the human race. Right in the beginning, Adam and Eve saying to them uh, to go and fill the whole world, that they should procreate and fill the whole world. Now, we have this lie that's uh, continuously being generated about how there's you know this world population problem that uh, there are too many people in the world and and we need to get rid of a bunch of people in order to uh, survive. Uh, to this day, uh, you can fit the entire population of the world inside Texas, and every single individual will have 1,628 square feet of their own. Every time I say that, I always get a number of emails and people that respond that are upset and refer to me as, you know, being completely ignorant and not understanding, you know, things the way that I should. Do the math. Look at the square footage of Texas. Look at the number of people in the world and understand how much space there is on this planet. You know, Whenever somebody does that, then the next thing starts to become of, oh, well, where are we going to put all of our trash? Where are we going to, you know, park all of our cars? Where are we going to, you know, raise all of our children? There are all kinds of questions that come up. I don't care where you park your car. Park them all in Nebraska. You know what I'm saying? I mean, put all of your trash in Antarctica. That's not the issue. The issue is that there's a lot of space on this planet that is unused. If you have traveled at all and seen the vast, wide-open prairies of the world, you know there are huge, huge, huge segments of this planet where no one is living. The problem is that we have big portions of our worldwide culture that want to live in one of three locations, so, you know, Hong Kong, uh, New York City, or Los Angeles. And then you can do all the calculations for the various large cities downward from there. 
we aren't spreading out. We're staying in central locations. And I understand all of the problems of management and uh, circumstances around that. That's not what I'm dwelling on. The point is, God gave procreation to the human race as a gift. And whenever we abandon the call, the mandate, and the gift of the Lord, then the culture and the people suffer for it. And in this case, we're talking about the children of the world suffering because they're being murdered just for sexual pleasure. Uh, and and that, that is the case. You know, people, again, that always want to bring up, you know, rape and incest. Well, you know, we have to have the right to have uh, abortion uh, for these cases. And they imply that somehow, like, that's the norm. Like, everybody who's getting an abortion is getting an abortion based upon rape or incest. Since we've spoken about this, <coughs> looked at the website moments ago, uh, you know, the number of abortions is still, uh, for rape and incest, 1,885.4. Uh, the worldwide number of abortions, uh, since 1980, uh, is 1,569,016,431. Uh, you know, the number continues to climb. So people are, you know, getting rid of children simply for convenience. Uh, you know, the next one that comes up often is, oh, well, what about all of the children that are being abused? What about all of the children that are, you know, being made to live in dog kennels and cages? Mythical is what that is. You know, uh, the uh, unthinkably rare occasion where that has occurred, you know, let's give that child to a loving family who's unable to have children let's let's figure out a way to not murder them so that they could experience the life that god wanted them to have and i i know i'm going to get very angry uh, responses uh, regarding all of this uh think about this um uh, you know th these sexual sins all of this killing of our children all that's described here god in romans chapter 1 uh through the Apostle Paul, talked about the judgment of, of God that was uh, coming to the world. And you know, right now, coronavirus, I've been asked that a lot uh, in the past few days about, do you, know, do you think that this is a plague from God? Do you think this is the judgment of God? And uh, I don't think it's the judgment of God based upon the Scripture that some people imply. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, was asked the question by the apostles in uh, Matthew chapter 24 about uh, when would things like that, I'm being very generic, when would things like that uh, take place? And Jesus uh, gave them a very lengthy answer lasting uh, two chapters, often referred to as the Olivet uh, Discourse. And he told us that as we approached the end of uh, the you know this time in human history, that there would be plagues, that there would be diseases such as this, and that they were all uh, a sign of the approach of the end of the age. So we're approaching when you know biblical level plagues begin to be released upon uh, the earth but what we're currently experiencing is uh you know a fairly normal trend of plagues that have taken place uh, throughout human history you might want to take some time and research uh, the plagues that have uh, taken place it, i mean influenza is uh, every year killing uh, thousands of people and nobody's in a dire panic over uh, those circumstances. I do see a rebellious nation in America uh, not following the mandates of God. And, uh, you know, regardless of how much we seem to be moving forward in certain areas, especially the church is still worshiping money, you know, still worshiping prosperity, still hung up on things other than worshiping God. So it makes sense to me as a pastor that God would reach out and touch our economy, which everybody's been boasting about uh, for you know the past years about al you know, almost recession-proof 
economy until you experience something like this. This very much proves that God is in control. So will God shake things up and cause people to pay attention to him uh, with such a process? Yes. In regard to the Apostle Paul speaking about uh, the judgments of God coming on a rebellious world that we're going to reject God, he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, speaking of God, who knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve, note that, also approve of those who practice them. And this is something that I've seen in the church, is that while people within the church might not actually participate in these things, for instance, they'll watch entertainment that depicts these things taking place. You know, they might not rob a bank, they might not murder anyone, but they certainly get a thrill watching someone else do it in entertainment. You know, think about the levels that our culture and society is consuming pornography. So yeah, they wouldn't ever commit adultery, but they'll participate in things such as that. So repentance is still something <coughs> that the Lord is calling his people to, and there is still a need uh, for us to submit ourselves to the Lord in that way. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 24, the Lord continues there by saying, Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, implying non-believers, those that do not follow the Lord. So specifically focusing on the nation of Israel, uh, the Lord saying, you know, you're my people and your conduct should be different uh, in comparison to those that are not my people and those that are ungodly and worldly, they defile themselves in that way, which I am casting out before you. Significant in this discussion <clears throat> that Moses is having with the nation of Israel, that statement that you know, these people that are in Canaan all participate in this type of behavior. I released you out of Egypt. You're going to come into the land and I'm going to disperse those people out of the land because they live this way. They are defiling themselves and defiling the land with this behavior. So I'm going to remove them. So for the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon them, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So God is now, at this point, putting the idea forward that the land is His, uh, the nation of Israel, the, the land of Canaan, that He's pushing the Canaanites out and giving the land to the nation of Israel. You shall therefore keep my statutes in verse 26 and my judgments not the opinions not the statutes not the ordinance of the people of canaan you're going to keep my statutes and my judgments the lord is saying and shall not commit any of these abominations and notice that he doesn't just list homosexuality as an abomination there he's clustering all of this sexual sin including simply lusting after your neighbor's wife. That's an abomination to the Lord. Either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells amongst you. We're going to talk about that a little bit right here. The fact that you know we often hear people talking about our nation and saying we should welcome in the foreigners, we should welcome in people. And, you know, now that I'm saying this, I'll be referred to as a racist and, you know, somehow be xenophobic or I don't know what some other label will be slapped on me as a result of this. Uh, certainly, you know, the Lord has the idea and he's going to talk about it right here of welcoming in foreigners into the nation, but he puts forward the idea that when they come into the land, they need to become believers. They need to follow his mandates. They need to live according to his worship. So it, it isn't just an open borders policy that the Bible puts forward. And many people often quote these passages, you know, where the Lord is inviting, you know, the other nations, uh, to come in 
and to live and uh, you know participate with them you know the, you know either any of your own nation or a stranger who dwells amongst you as he says there you know we're going to allow them in but they're going to have to live according to the things that the Lord says so you shall keep my statutes verse 26 and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who are before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that are before you. So God puts the condition on the nation of Israel being inside uh, the land and being inside the borders of Israel as cooperation with him. It is a very conditional uh, arrangement that the Lord has uh, with his people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all of this abundance, but you have to be obedient to me. And if you're not, then you're going to be rejected by me and you're going to be rejected by the land. Uh, it's going to vomit you out. The same way that he's currently expelling uh, the other nations, the Canaanites, from out of the borders of what is going to become the nation of Israel, the Lord is very much saying, if you don't uh, participate uh, with me in obedience, then I'm going to make sure that you get pushed out of the land also. For whoever commits any of these abominations... The person who commits them shall be cut off from among their people. And there is a discussion amongst the scholars about whether the Lord is simply talking about how they would be separated, uh, you know, sort of excommunicated within the culture, or even that they would be put to death. Uh, either way, it's the idea of an absolute exclusion. Uh, certainly, you know, putting an individual or families to death would be more severe, but to absolutely excommunicate somebody in every way, business, finance, culture, religion, that they would have nothing to do with the rest of the nation. The Lord would separate them from the rest of his people. 18 verse 30, therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which are committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. So one more time, the Lord putting that idea forward that they as a people, they as a nation belong to him, and this is not his conduct. So if they're going to be his children, then they should be reflecting his behavior. And there's, you know, something to be said about that. I've recommended I think several times recently, uh, I think I even found it online, um, Chuck Missler did a, a teaching series years ago uh, referred to as, as the God you worship. And he makes the point that uh, you can't help it. Uh, you end up becoming like the God that you worship. So even though a person might um, profess to be a Christian, if they are continually pursuing uh, sexual things, if they are continually per, per, uh, pursuing uh, sensual things and experiences and pleasures, <clears throat> then ultimately what ends up happening is uh, th they don't conduct themselves as a Christian should. They end up uh, behaving as those who worshipped Molech, or they end up behaving as those who uh, you know worshipped Diana, great as Diana of the Ephesians, and that whole uh, conflict that went on with Paul. The, the God that you worship, uh, you will end up behaving like that God. If you worship Mammon, the God of money and power, then you become cruel and cold and callous and unforgiving in the process. So, you know, here, the Lord's saying, if you're going to keep my customs, if you're going to follow my mandates, you're going to be like me. I am the Lord your God. Uh, so all of these practices that are being described here, if, if an individual is actually following and worshiping God, 
these practices will not be part of their life. Uh, he's putting it forward that if you are behaving that way, then I'm not your God, is uh, essentially what he's saying. A New Testament reference, a couple of them in regard to this, uh, and hopefully we'll get over into uh, chapter 19 at least a little bit. First Corinthians, you may want to make note of chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he makes that statement, Do not be deceived, obviously implying that there is a strong possibility that an individual would be under some severe uh, deception. So do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love the fact that verse 11 is included because it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So, so this is not you know, some statement that the Lord uh, hates these people and wants nothing to do with them. It is rather a statement that the Lord is saying, I can deliver you uh, from these things so that I will be your God, so that you will be my people. So, you know, we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you turn several pages and come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, beginning at verse 14. It says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. It seems very casual in the way it's written, but it reads quite clearly. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So a, a very loving invitation that God is giving even to people that might be living absolutely abominable lives, as he's uh, quoted here as saying, you know, throughout the, the, the uh, chapter uh, in Leviticus chapter 18. The Lord is constantly begging and inviting and giving the opportunity for people to leave the behaviors uh, that would separate them from him in order to have the fulfilling relationship with the Lord that we were designed for. Now I want to get right over into Leviticus chapter 19 because they are coupled together. At verse 1 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, am, for I the Lord your God, am holy. Again, this idea that God is holy and if we are His children, then we're going to automatically reflect the characteristics of our Father. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now, very often when we look around, this is a, a thing that people will commonly talk about today, about the disrespect and you know, the uh, deterioration of our culture. You know, when we were younger, uh, you know, there were certain things. You could let the kids out and didn't have to be as concerned about, you know, where they might be or who they might be with. And now there's sort of a fearful state uh, to the condition of our society. You know, in this 
description here. Uh, those that worship him there would have a reverence for their parents and also for worship, the days of worship, you know, the Sabbath, uh, because he is the Lord your God. Now, within uh, this idea, I just want to put forward a couple passages of Scripture. Malachi chapter 4, beginning at verse 5, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the, their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So this is a prophecy about the work of the Holy Spirit during times of revival, and specifically, it is a prophecy about the ministry of John the Baptist. When a people turns away from the Lord, uh, fatherlessness, broken homes uh, become uh, greater and greater difficulty within that society and that culture. The statistics today are alarming. Uh, and I, I don't just say that off the cuff. I mean, it is really horrible the number of young people in our nation that are being uh, raised in homes without fathers. And I don't, uh, you know, say anything. I'm not saying anything against, you know, the single mothers that are doing amazing jobs in those settings. Uh, I, I'm instead looking at the scripture and and understanding you know God's purpose and his intention that if these families were intact with you know awesome dads taking care of their homes and being dependable and raising their children and being you know fatherly in a, a biblical sense and and mothers were able to uh, simply be nurturing and loving in the way that God had intended what a wonderful thing that would be the point here is that, you know, this statement, this command, every one of you shall revere his mother and father, that doesn't happen when a nation rejects God. When the Holy Spirit is uh, rejected by a people, then you're going to see the deterioration of the family, and then you're going to see the deterioration of the culture. You know, I, I do a, a fair amount of work within jails and prisons and, and you know there's an obvious statistic of uh young people who end up in prison who come from broken homes you know divorces and uh, no dad in their life when a people return to the lord when the holy spirit begins to work in men and women's lives and their hearts and minds one of the first things that begins to happen is a repair and a healing to the families. Uh, fathers' hearts uh, turn towards their wives and their children. And, and as a result, uh, children even find a freedom, you know, embittered young men who have been injured and hurt and young women that have been injured and hurt in those broken homes begin to turn their hearts back towards uh, their, their own families, their parents. So, you know, the answer for our nation... The answer for our world again is a submission uh, to the Lord. So, you know, how would uh, John uh, do that as far as turning these people's hearts to the Lord? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, is what John was saying, make his paths straight. So as far as revival and repentance, how does that occur? When people prepare their hearts for the Lord to enter their hearts and take his throne of authority and sit and rule in their heart and in their mind. When, when you know, the God of all creation is allowed access to the emotions and the thinking process of every single person within a culture, you're going to see dramatic things take place 
uh, when that happens. You know, so how, how are we going to make that happen? How are we going to you know, cause every individual to submit themselves to the Lord? Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So as long as we're thinking that it's going to be <coughs> a particular organization, that it's going to be a, a particular book, a particular method developed by human beings uh, that's going to cause people to turn their hearts to the Holy Spirit and thereby see their families and their homes healed, uh, we're falling short of the mark. The thing that's going to do it is when we recognize our hopelessness and we call upon the Lord to give us His Holy Spirit and see those things take place. John the Baptist himself said in Mark chapter 1, Verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So that need of uh, humanity to experience the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, you know, flooding through everything that we do and are is going to be the thing that accomplishes that work. And then the, the question becomes, how do we get this Holy Spirit? You know, how are we actually going to have that in our lives. Jesus answered that question in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So how do you get it? You ask. You ask the Lord to give you His Holy Spirit, and He will. Uh, people have all kinds of mixed up attitudes about that. Well, I don't feel like it. Or my friend had some crazy experience when he went to a church and they laid hands on him and he prayed for the Holy Spirit and he came out acting like, you know, some kind of weirdo. That's not what the Lord is calling us to or promising us. The need of the Holy Spirit in us individually is obvious and our culture's need for the Holy Spirit is very obvious. Uh, how do we get it? We ask. Uh, I often encourage people, you know, when we're going through that sinner's prayer, to simply ask uh, that the Lord would forgive you of your sins, that He would give you His Holy Spirit, that He would cause you to be born again, that you would become a child of God. That's something the Lord does, all of those things. We submit to it, we pray for it, and we trust that the Lord is going to do it through faith. So back in Leviticus chapter 19, looking at verse 4, he says, Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord your God. So avoid idolatry at all costs. Have nothing to do with that, the Lord is saying very clearly. In verse 5, and if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it for, uh, of your own free will. So the Lord doesn't put any compulsion on this of necessity that you have to do these things. Any worship that the Lord is, you know, demanding and going to receive is, you know, come through free will. You've got to want to do it and then you've got to carry that out uh, of your own desire. Verse six, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next and if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. So uh, the idea that the Lord is putting forward here is that worship uh, should not get stale, that it should be fresh every single day, that they should constantly be seeking the Lord and being in fellowship with the Lord. So we'll try to get through the rest of this chapter in the few minutes that we have. It says, and if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Again, the Lord reflecting how important it is to daily be in fellowship with him. Leviticus 19, verse 9, when, the, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. You need to leave some of your field in place without harvesting every last stalk of your grain. Nor shall you gather the gleaning of your harvest. If you miss a strip, don't go back uh, for it. Leave those places 
in, uh, in the growth, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. There were occasions where they would go through gathering the clusters, and some of them wouldn't be ready, some of them wouldn't be ripe. Leave them on the vine, the Lord is saying, but don't go back for them after they've developed further. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger, the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Again, this would be my behavior is what the Lord is saying. Since you're my children and my nation, this should be your behavior. Leave them for the poor. So again, there's a welfare program designed by God, but it involves work, even for the strangers, even for the foreigners that would come into the land. Right, make provision for them, but it needs to be through work, not just through some free handout. Uh, 19 verse 11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your Lord. I am the uh, name of your God. I am the Lord. So there needs to be an honesty, a truth, you know, no deception, no stealing in the behavior of his children. None of these things should be in the practice of those who declare themselves believers. It's really unfortunate that so many people that declare themselves to be Christian business people, the world doesn't want anything to do with them because of their dishonesty. Uh, that's tragic that uh, we've come to the place where that is our reputation. 19 verse 13 you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Uh, that was the mandate of the day. The idea is you can't keep the pay for yourself, earn interest on it, you know, pocket that interest, and then give him his money. You need to pay him when it is due. You not, shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You may think like, uh, who in the world would do that? That seems so cruel. The idea is, you know, having a malady is not a curse from God. Uh, we, we unfortunately often still to this day think that way, that if someone has something wrong, that somehow they're lesser. And that's just not the case. John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Uh, there's a great encouragement in that, that God will sustain and care for the person who may even have, you know, severe struggles in life. You know, I'm, I'm now looking at the remainder of this chapter and thinking there's just no way that I'm, I'm going to get uh, through all of this. So uh, let me just read this next section and then we'll call it quits. You shall not do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Constantly bringing it back to, I'm the Lord. I wouldn't do these things. You're my children. You're my nation. This should not be your conduct. There is this classic verse that we read very frequently, and we often even sing the song based upon Micah 6.8, where it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a great summary of all the things the Lord has said in chapter 18 and 19 up to this point. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry. You know, you look around the world and see what's going on in our culture, even as a result of this coronavirus. The answer is very simple. It's contained right here. Have the heart and mind of God. You know, do what God has shown you. Do good. Uh, be just. Love graciousness and mercy, <coughs> and walk humbly 
with your God. If we'll live this way, if we'll reflect the character of God, we'll be the effective ministers in our culture. I pray the Lord would minister through us in this way and we would be the beacon, the light and the hope of the world, as Jesus said, the salt and the light of the earth. So that's the time we have today. Uh, Let's pray and then uh, we'll pick up with uh, verse 17 next week. Father, I thank you very much for your grace and your love in our lives and I do ask that you would minister to us. Help us to walk in fellowship with you, that we would be an example to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.